Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. With the third pick in the 2019 NBA Draft, the New York Knicks select R.J. Barrett. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, friends, strangers, children, old people. It's your boy, Prez, a.k.a. at underscore Presidente, a.k.a. Isaiah Hartensteinbrenner, here with yet the latest episode of Draft Strickland. We're on season three, episode four. You'll have to forgive me for uh, not bringing you all an episode last week as scheduled. I don't really have a good reason. I just didn't feel like it. We'll get back to regular schedules for sure once March Madness starts, but until then, we're kind of just uh, building the plane as we're flying it. So if you're still listening, despite this egregious disrespect by me, your host, thank you very much. I sincerely appreciate your commitment to the strict land. With me today, are two very special guests who are special for reasons that I'll get into shortly. Uh, the first guest, both are first time Jeff Strickland guests. The first guest is a Jeff Strickland, not Jeff Strickland, a V Strickland draft contributor, but also contributes to many other websites. It's Oscar from Swish Theory, and joining Oscar is Nima, also from Swish Theory, both of who put out lots of great draft-related work um, on Twitter and on Switch Theory's actual website, which is pretty dope. If you uh, haven't seen it, highly recommend it. We will talk a little bit about what makes the site so cool, but before that, I just want to thank y'all for joining us. How you doing today? I'm doing good, bro. Thanks for having me. Uh, excited to talk about prospects. I definitely felt you on the I just didn't feel like it thing. Uh, I tweeted out today that I was going to dive into some prospects, and then I like watched a movie, went to the gym, came home, and took a nap. I definitely didn't get that through, so don't don't feel bad, bro. It's uh, I, I completely felt that. <laughs> yeah, man. Sometimes, uh, sometimes Prez runs from the grind. I'm not going to lie. Unlike Dame Lillard. <laughs> Oscar, how you doing? <laughs> I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm happy to be here after listening for couple years now watch a bunch of dayron to uh, to prep for this pod this afternoon yeah i'm happy you did that makes one of you that makes one of us <laughs> um I, I i'm still behind on certain certain first rounders and and he's definitely among them um i guess since uh well before we get to dayron i just want to circle back listeners if you're listening to this podcast you're probably some sort of a draft nerd or you're about to become some sort of a draft nerd. So I really can't emphasize 
enough how much y'all need to check out Swish Theory, um, the website that Nima and Oscar contribute to. There's been a couple of draft websites, but really not that many if you think about it through the years, right? There's like No Ceilings came out last year or right before that. Um, the Stepian was the, the mainstay for the nerdiest of nerds for a long time, and it has sunsetted finally after all their folks got hired all over the damn place. Um, and aside from that, it's just like DraftNet and Draft Express, which are like, eh, now, well, or have been for some time. So there was a really big hole there for like easily accessible somewhat aesthetically pleasant informative draft website and it's not an accident that a lot of folks came together and formed swish theory and you know it's obviously a lot different than how the strickland formed but it shares some things and that like it was a lot of people who contributed to a lot of different websites seeing a like a call from people on the internet from fanatics who just wanted a certain kind of content and just deciding, fuck it, we'll do it ourselves. So, uh, like, it, it, every time stuff drops on there, I get really excited, and um, including including the stuff y'all write, and I just wanted to get that out there on the pod because, like, we just organized informative basketball analysis being easily accessible is not something we can get from like ESPN and NBA TV and all that shit. So I can't imagine, like, what do you do if you're, if you're not on Twitter, you just have to be friends with people who know ball or else you're fucked. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, dude, it's been a, it's been a good trip so far. It's only been a couple months since we started and uh, it's, it's blowing up pretty fast. And, you know, we got some like awesome people on there. Some of my favorite people, both in terms of just like, their, their draft analysis and their, their, the way they approach basketball, but also just just people in general, you know, like um, Powell was on – or Matt Powers, he was one of the Stepien writers before, and uh, he's had some awesome content on there. He just did a piece about, uh, like, Pascal Siakam and uh, how he goes about, you know, approaching isolation offense and how Arthur Kaluma can draw from that. And then you have, you have Charlie probably breaking down the – the Warriors better than anybody out there at the moment. Breaking down every uh, single three-point attempt every Clay Thompson ever took, which is actually Charlie, people who are listening, yeah, not Charlie an exaggeration. Day. He actually did that for an article. <laughs> Dude, yeah, he did that for like two days, like just like multiple days straight just watching like three-point throw. I don't know how he did it. Uh, he's doing awesome work and then you know, just everybody else as well, just both in draft content. Everybody's putting in a ton of work behind the scenes, even when there's not stuff, uh, you know, coming out on the website or coming out on Twitter. Like, there's a lot of stuff happening uh, behind the scenes with Switch Theory. So I'm just really excited to, to watch the, like watch all of us grow and uh, hopefully see all these people in front offices in a couple of years. Everybody's really smart, Oscar included. Um and like every, everybody knows what they're doing and everybody knows like uh under you know they understand basketball really well and uh it's it's great cuz you get you get a couple different takes here and there and uh it's not a hive mind either like i wouldn't say everybody is really in line with each other in terms of uh how we approach basketball or how we approach certain prospects so 
Um, it's not, it's not like a group of people, you know, all diving into one prospect together and being like, you know, we all love Jairus, you know, there's, there's definitely yeah. some torn people. Within the, not so, Oscar though. It, uh, no, Oscar, lo- Oscar loves torn. I love Jairus too, bro, but, um, nah, but yeah, it's, it's, it's awesome. And I've, I've really enjoyed it the last few months. Um, I'm really excited, you know, once we get closer to, you know, March Madness and the actual draft itself. Uh, just to kind of see what content comes out and uh, how how we build on from here. Yeah, I just want to echo what Nima said. Those um those Charlie and, and Powell pieces were like incredible. Um, but yeah, we have like a really good group of guys. Um, I think I like knew most of them before Swish yeah. was like found. So it's like a really good um kind of environment and like vibe to like bounce ideas off each other. Yeah. Um, and yeah, really excited for stuff we have planned i was fully on board from the get-go because half of y'all motherfuckers were like half the roster of last year's draft strictly guests <laughs> except for you two so uh late late on the wagon here but uh uh but not yeah. not too late just in time um so so i'm happy we finally got y'all on here okay we can begin getting into it so there's a couple of themes that'll emerge from the prospects we're talking about um today but the first one i want to start out with is deron holmes uh a big man i don't know where he ranks in the non wemby center prospects to y'all but i feel like this year i this is why i wanted to talk about deron deron holmes because he right now in the nba i feel like we're seeing a slight big man renaissance and not just like last year, you had the MVP race, right? So obviously, you have prototype. I shouldn't say prototype because they're fucking unicorns, but like Jokic and Embiid are very large centers. And then you have gigantic other weird dragon beasts like Giannis, who are basically big men, but not. And then um, now you're seeing like further down the line in the standings, other teams with bigs who you have to have a financial who are good enough to earn financial commitment from their teams who impact winning in special ways, even if they're probably never going to make an all-star team. Right. And like, there's so many of them right now. And and it's really notable because for a while there, it felt like most good NBA teams felt fell into one of two categories for centers, either, you have a franchise player type center or possible franchise player type center. So like the MVPs or the Suns with DeAndre Ayton or whoever was employing DeMarcus Cousins in any given year, you know, guys like that. And then you had teams that just had a rotation of good contract guys who could, you know, one one was more physical and could pop for threes a little bit. Another one was more mobile on defense and, you know, like I think of the the pre-Robert Williams Celtics that had Theus and a bunch of other random guys, none of whom were super special, but together it allowed for the teams to be really versatile. And now you're not, like, mm-hmm. that's kind of, not stopped. Some teams still do that, but, like, the Nets really rely on Nick Claxton. The Knicks really rely on Mitchell Robinson. The Cavs really rely on Jared Allen. And... Uh, on emerging teams, you're seeing guys like that play, like set themselves up to play similar roles in the future, like Jalen Duran. Like even if he doesn't 
ever scored 20 points a game. He's already like one of the best rebounders and he's only like 12 years old. And even though he's built like Zeus, so <laughs> you even fucking there's Hornets who suck have Mason Plumley averaging like 20 and 10 and four since 2023 started. And, and he's probably going to get like a protected first from someone maybe. So, um, I, first of all, do y'all have any idea why this is like, I, I have my own theories, but, uh, I'm just kind of curious, like, this just kind of happened, and maybe I was just sleeping, and it happened while I was asleep or something, but what what do you all think? Am I am I off here, or is this, does this sound I think, right? I think teams kind of realize, I think, yeah, it sounds right, man. I think, I think teams kind of realize how important size is, um, especially just having, like, guys who can cover a ton of ground on defense, and, like, you know, you talk a lot of the guys you talked about, Jokic and Bead. Okay, those you know those guys are outliers. But then you even look down the line. You know, like the Rockets are running stuff through Shangun right now. Uh, Jakob Pertl is like a staple in the Spurs lineup. Like, there's a lot of there's a lot of big men around the league. I mean, like even Pascal, six nine, they moved him to the center. Um, and, Precious you know, Achua erasure on my podcast. I will not stand for. Okay, it. Yeah, you're right. Not for it. My fault. Pre- Precious as well. But then, I mean, even the Knicks, like I love Hartenstein. Um, you, you know, you have Mitch Robb. You have a bunch of other, like, uh, not, but yeah. So, like, you know, you, got, you have all these bigs who are skilled in their own ways, both offensively and defensively, and they bring their own thing to op- to the offense. And then you look at some of the other players in the league, it's like, man, you can have a 6'11 guy doing this, 6'9", 6'10", 6'11 guy doing this, or you can have a, a 6'7 guy out there doing the exact same thing. You know, it at some point you take the height and there's teams like the magic taking that to a whole other level. Um, but, you know, I think, I think that we are kind of, like you said, in a, in a big man Renaissance, it helps that a lot of these big men are, uh, especially the incoming big men in the last couple of years are incredibly skilled. Um, I unfortunately don't think this class is going to contribute much to that aside from Wimbanyama. Um, you were talking about like, where does Dayron Holmes kind of, stack in terms of like the best bigs in this class he's probably like top three top four at worst in my opinion and i don't think that speaks well for like dayron i think that speaks more towards like the depth and big men in this class i don't know if oscar feels the same way but i don't think this is a great big man class in any like by any means um i think it's like it's wemby and then it's a like steep drop off to like guys who i think may be able to start one day, you know, like I, I don't think there's a lot of a lot of deep potential with the big men in this class. Oscar, real quick, just a follow up question for yeah. you. So, I'm interested in your answer to the same question, but like a, a related thing is, all right, whatever you think of like this quote unquote big man renaissance or like mini renaissance, like you know, we used to hear a lot of people think, okay, because there's so many bigs and everybody who doesn't have an MVP big is just rotating out like $8 million dudes. Like, I'm not drafting a big in the first round. I could just find some someone who's a hooper and seven feet tall and actually ends up getting paid $10 million just not on the street, but, you know, in the second round or off someone's someone else's hands who's already in the league and is now switching teams or whatever. So, like, where are you on on the, the state of the big man today and how does that kind of tie into what how, how you're looking at bigs in the draft, I guess? Yeah, um, I mean, I think it's like a pretty well-known phenomenon that like when the league goes one way, 
like the rest of league counters, right? And so, you know, this is like a, you know, this is played out, but we, we, we know that the Warriors, um, their dynasty kind of made everyone think that, you know, you, know, you need to switch big, who can move. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that as they've kind of fallen off and we've seen like pick and roll heavy teams kind of repopulate the, um, the, the top of the, you know, conferences, I think that people are realizing that rim protection is a way to um, limit threes, you know, by proxy of like, you know, rim pressure is what generates most open threes, right? So like if you can have an anchor back there, um, it, it really does help limit the number of open threes. Um, and, you know, just having um, Jokic and Embiid and, and then Giannis, like huge talents, like huge literally, but also like super talented, um, having them kind of emerge, you know, even if it's only a couple of them, like having those type of stars at the top of the league, I think, you know, will um, impact the whole league, like as a landscape. Um, as for this class, um, yeah, like Nima said, there's not like a ton of super interesting bigs. Um, and like for Wemby, I mean, y- you're not really considering the... He's just his <laughs> own big. <laughs> just like put him number one, right? Um, yeah, that's an asterisk. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, with Dayron, um, I watched a little bit this afternoon. He was always one of the guys where I said like, all right, if he declares, I'll give him like a full watch, but I, I never really got to him. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, he's definitely skilled. Um, I like his passing. I like his positioning on defense. It just seems like the tools are like definitely subpar for an NBA five. Um, sorry, one sec. I'm assuming this take was too hot. So the forces, the forces of uh, of evil, were coming to <laughs> to make sure he couldn't nah, get that um, out into the streets. But we don't care here on Jeff Strickland. So tell him what he was about, to, whatever knowledge he was about to drop, Oscar. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, he's like the, the tools aren't great. Um, like seven one wingspan, and he's Isn't not like super great. Yeah, I was surprised when I looked up. I was expecting a little more than that. He looked like um, a long boy. Yeah, he, he looks. Like- yeah, I mean, googling wingspans is always like a crapshoot. <laughs> you kind of just have to wait into the comp, the, the combine. But um, yeah, I don't know. He's like, like I said, he's he's not the best vertically, even if his load time is good. Um, and he, you know, he doesn't shoot. I think I checked. He's like five of twelve from three on the year, and like takes a couple middies, but. They're usually like late clock, and the form isn't great. So. I like. I kind of. Like, I don't know. I, I mean, saw I, a couple threes, and maybe I lower my. I mean, I'll defer to you on mechanics, but I don't know. They seemed a little. Janky, does it look but, broken um, though? No, it's not. It's not I, like. I, I think his form could definitely. Use, it's definitely like, not clean. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah you, there's a reason. Now go ahead. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I don't have, a, like, a ton of confidence in it, I guess. I, I think his free throw percentage went up a little bit, but it's okay. still, like, sub-70%. Yeah. I mean, yeah, not a guy I want to bet on um, shooting. So, yeah, I mean, there's definitely skills there, but I don't think there's enough in terms of, like, a full, like, big man skill set to consider him round one. So a related question uh, before – Nima explains why he is outraged and will not stand for this is uh forget Duran generally like just I mean forget Duran specifically Oscar like how are you 
not that there's any magical specific threshold that is consistent year to year for bigs, but like what, what kind of hypothetical things are you looking for in a big to be a first round big in a decent to good draft? Like, is, is there anything in particular? Um, I, I think the biggest thing is like scheme versatility in terms of pick and roll mm. defense. That's the biggest one. Unless you're like an offensive minded big, which is like most of those guys are like like true offensive minded fives are like really like unique prospects with like so yeah. I don't really think there's like a one rule for, for those guys. But yeah, scheme versatility and then like clearly projects to be an above average rim protector, which is you know, a really high bar um for for college centers. So yeah, I would say those two things are generally my rule. That's a, I, I think I'll steal that because that's like watching the Knicks. Right, we have three, three centers, two of which are big, one of which isn't big but is very jacked and a 99th percentile physical specimen in some ways, in Jericho Sims, but like. If, if the Knicks obviously are probably the least scheme versatile team in terms of how they deploy centers. Um, and Sims isn't really a good rim protector, but he's only theoretically scheme versatile. So we don't really, we don't really see him deployed on switches that much. But if you look at um, the teams that do switch their schemes up the most for centers, there's still not many teams doing it like how the Warriors did it back in the day where Draymond is just flying around on everyone. Like even the Heat still drop bam quite a lot and he's pretty pretty one of the most switchable guys. So like that pick and roll defense and that rim protection, that's going to be the probably the lion's share of your defensive value, right? Which is where my uh, lack of confidence, or if you're other people on the Knicks internet, my raging evil hate for Jericho Sims <laughs> comes into play because he's not really good at either of those things yet. Um, he might be, he might be, but and he certainly has the potential to be. But um, you see what happens with him when you're kind of shaky at pick and roll and shaky at the rim. It's like you can be you can be great at other stuff, and he is great at other stuff, but um, it leaves. Leaves me a little wanting sometimes. Um, but back to, is it Dayron or Deron? Do we know? It's Dayron. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry, Dayron. I've been fucking that up. Um, yeah, Nima. So, uh, I mean, I watched like literally one half of Dayron. I, I wanted to get around to more film, but I just didn't. And my my first like extremely superficial observations was like, oh, he's narrow and skinny like Nick Claxton, but like that obviously that's just the outline of the human phys- physical figure that he has. It's not about his movement or wingspan or balance or anything like that. So, could you just like just like high level, just paint a picture of what you think Dayron Holmes is? Because yeah. I'm sure most of the people listening to this are like me in that they don't have any fucking idea who he is. Yeah, I mean, so I think you said long and skinny. I think he, well, like like uh, like Oscar said, his wingspan is mm-hmm. only seven one, which which surprised me. And again, I I think come combine time, that number might be a little bit different because I feel like he has longer than a plus three wingspan. Um, 
but I think he's strong as hell. Uh, he he moves other people in the post like it's like it's no big deal. He also holds his own in the post really well. And you know we're talking about this big man renaissance. There's six seven teams in the NBA running through post bigs right now, and having a guy who will hold their own against them like on one on one possessions is a pretty big deal. I think Dayron can do that. Uh, I think he can do it pretty well. Um, and then on top of that, you know, he's not the greatest vertical athlete. He's not, you know, the, uh, we, we talked about it earlier in a group chat. He's, he's not very good at backpedaling. He's not like the, his, his feet placement, stuff like that. It, it can get a little bit better, but he's super quick. And I think that's really important for a guy who's like 6'10". It's not about being fast. It's about being quick. Can you get into small spaces really fast? Can you make quick decisions? Um, and he does that all the time. He's really good in the pick and roll. He's not a fantastic pick and roll defender just because he's a little a little laterally slow but he gets he gets like forward very quickly um and i think that that helps him a lot especially you know just getting out on the perimeter if they're if he does play in a switch heavy offense uh or switch heavy defense sorry um but going back to like i think the the cell like his offense, yes, he doesn't bring everything you would want. He's not a fantastic shooter. His mid-range is getting a little bit better. Um, his three, his free throw percentage went up 8% on two and a half more attempts per game. I think that's a significant amount of, like, both both percentage and attempt, likewise. That's a significant raise. Um, and then his, his field goal percentage is dipping a little bit, but it's because he's taking shots a little bit further from the rim and he's doing a little bit less or he's doing a little bit more offensively than he was last year. Last year was pretty basic with his post-ups. Uh, this year he's getting into like post fades and, uh, step backs, like shooting from the nail and stuff like that. So he's getting a little bit more creative. And then I think one thing that benefits him a little bit is the Dayton offense is really big, and they have some fantastic passers. Like, there's a Mongolian Mike. I will never try and pronounce his last <laughs> name. Sharv uh, Jomps, I, I think is what it is, but I, I'm sure I butchered that. Uh, Tumani Kamara, who is probably my favorite prospect in this class in terms of just being a guy who I think is super overlooked. Uh, he's extremely skilled on and off the ball. Uh, Mustafa Emzo, who's an amazing passer. He's like 6'11". And then they have Kobe Brea, who's a great shooter too. That's a, It's a very big team. All those guys are 6'6 six, six plus, and the other four 6'8 plus, uh, aside from Brea. Um, and all of them are really good passers. Holmes is not an exception to that. Like I think he's a pretty good passer for a big. He's not going to be, you know, like a, a Shangun or Sabonis, but he's a great handoff guy. Uh, they put him in a lot of those possessions with Brea or Mike or even Kamara coming off of him. Um, and so I think his versatility on offense is being kind of undersold. And then defensively, he's just like probably one of the best rim protectors in this class. And I think that's, you know, like Oscar said, I do think that's a huge thing that, you know, you need to be able to do as a big man. Pick and roll defense as well. And I think he does struggle on that a little bit, but I you go to a team that is willing to put a little bit more, a little bit of effort into his like just athletic makeup. Uh, I think he has a good body. I don't think he's that athletically like limited. I think you obviously you look at some of the other big men, you know, in the NCAA, and there's some freak athletes out there like Dylan Mitchell and stuff like that. But um, I also don't think a lot of those guys are good enough to be getting like serious NBA minutes. I think Dayron is, um, and I don't. I, I think his his post defense and his rim protection is what's gonna what's gonna keep him around and what's gonna make him a first round pick. I don't think he's gonna go lotto. I've seen him a lot. A lot of people have him 
kind of back lotto or fringe lotto. I have him more kind of around like the 20 spot right now. Um, like early 20s, maybe late teens, I can kind of justify. But I think this is a pretty stacked class from like five to 25 almost. Um, and so like it, it really just comes down to what team picks him and who's willing to put him in the right situation and have the right defensive system around him. Uh, but I, I think he's just he's, – he's very skilled, in my opinion, on both ends. Uh, he does a lot of little things that I think a lot of teams will like. And he doesn't really need the ball in his hands to be effective um, on offense. And, you know, again, like defense, probably one of the best rim protectors. If you're looking for a rim protector in this class, again, it's a horrible big man class for that. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if some of the big men who a lot of people assume are going to enter return just because they've had bad seasons – um, so if you're looking for a rim protector, man, like you're not going to find another one as good as Holmes past 20. So like you might as well take it in my opinion. That's always an interesting dynamic because you're like, Oh, not that many rim protectors. So maybe that's good for his stock and he'll end up going higher because of it, especially because there's a lot of bigs in the NBA right now. But on the other, other hand, there's a lot of other really good players who are not bigs in this class. And, and uh, as I suspect Oscar would say, uh, you know, there's so many bigs circulating in the NBA right now that you could just not use a draft pick on one and end up with some, you know, biannual exception or whatever. And That's know. also true. And that was like my philosophy going into last year. And that's also why I had like Kessler. Well, and that's not why I had Kessler really low, but it's part of why I had Kessler really low. But it's also why I had Coloco really low. And both of them are doing great in the NBA. I think it's like, I, I think if you're able to get a big man on a one to two million or like a $1 million contract, $2 million contract through the draft or through free agency, like I've kind of retweaked my opinion that like, hey, if you need a big man who can protect the rim, like just guarantee it if you have if you can you know mm-hmm. and, and guarantee you have it for four years rather than you know twenty seven year old who's on his fourth team for for who knows what reason Mason uh, Plumley disrespect paid the same amount Mason Plumley's getting paid like eleven million dollars a year he, man he, I don't want to be he about Mason to Plumlee he about to get a raise you better not sleep on mixtape yeah. Mace <laughs> man I got Shangun on my team I I, I can't oh yeah you're you're, you're probably <laughs> fine um. Oscar, just just as we kind of tie the knot on on this big st- this big man stuff. So, I it, it seems like you know, like Nima's saying, Deron Deron is talented, but that's a relative thing for this class. And you know, the last two classes we we've had quite a few talented bigs, um, which which kind of makes the analysis of of Deron to me a little more harsh for him, unfortunately. Um, w- does do the centers from last year's class impact how you're viewing Dayron or or how do you how did you view those guys and how and how does that change? So we have like Coloco, Kessler. Um, I feel like I'm missing one or two very obvious players. Um, uh, I think those were the two like earliest drafted centers after. Um, oh wait, I go oh, Durant. I'm both. I mean, I get yeah, Durant. Um, but yeah, no, but I don't know. I, I was higher on Coloco. Mm-hmm. Mark um, Williams. Oh yeah. That's oh, Mark, yeah, Mark, there we yeah, go. Right, right. Yeah. I was higher on Coloco. Um, I think I had him like, I can't, I can't remember where I had him. I got to him like really late in mm-hmm. the process. Um, well, I had like seen him like 
you know, while watching um, Matherin, but like I hadn't really focused on him until until late in the process. Kessler, I wasn't as high on. Um, definitely going to learn from um, the Kessler eval in terms of like when the block rate is that crazy and he's like super long and he's deterring all these shots, like it's probably a good bet to return value anywhere outside the lotto. But um, yeah, I mean, I think those guys just have like much better tools than Dayron. I wouldn't really, and I, and I think Dayron's like much better offensively. So I wouldn't really use mm -hmm. them as a point of reference for him. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think. So like you have the guys we mentioned from last year and, you know, Duran is kind of his own thing because he's so young. I, I think he'll end up developing more skill than he's showing right now. But um, you're right. Like Kessler and Coloco, like their jobs are pretty straightforward. And I, I know we all had hopes and wrote a sentence and every time we tweeted about them about maybe they'll shoot right like kessler shot quite a bit in high school and college and coloco didn't but when he did it looked decent and all that stuff um and then you go to the year before and you had obviously shangun who's kind of his own thing kai jones who's like r.i.p whatever the hell the hornist development did to him to make his jump shot more <laughs> ugly uh my son isaiah jackson who's kind of in the Durham boat in that he's really awesome, but he's still kind of just figuring out how to play basketball. He's pretty young. Um, Garuba, who he's kind of his own weird thing, made weirder by the Rockets being weird. <laughs> uh, don't, don't, get, don't get me started on yeah, that. Now. <laughs> yeah, and then, uh, and then two other guys I wanted to quickly mention, or three really, who uh, in, this, in that draft, 2021, have already returned – pretty good center value which is um dayron sharp who uh, i was pretty high on and he's yeah. just kind of like doing his thing quietly right now uh as like in like limited minutes um santi aldama who's same thing uh you know just chugging along as one of the many guys on the the memphis role player train who just plug into that machine that well-oiled machine and do their thing he's obviously way different from a lot of these guys he could put it on the deck a little bit more he's like a four or five and then um jre jeremiah robinson earl who's like i don't know if he's a real center but last year more so than this year uh, i think he got hurt a little bit this year but last year he was a big part of a thunder defense that was pretty good even though nobody cared about it except for draft strickland guest mark schindler who wrote about it a lot <laughs> for some reason <laughs> Um, so like I'm looking at those guys and what I see are some like the, the picks I like out of last year and the year before all seem to be ready to fucking roll ASAP in some way. Like Dayron Sharp, not a Walker Kessler level rim protector, but he was solid and you knew he was going to rebound the crap out of the ball from the minute he got to the league. Santi, um, again, Great rebounder in college and, you know, decent shooter as well. JRE was an older, older veteran player, you know, Villanova. He just, they just turned out ready to contribute NBA guys uh, a lot of the time through the years. And he was the latest of those. And then obviously Walker is pretty, he's like, I mean, like Oscar said, the block rate historic. So he, that just, we didn't have to wait. That was just immediately you know, he's not going to win defensive player of the year, but to be a good defensive rookie is pretty astounding. So 
you know, just in light of that, Nima, do you think Dayron, you could put him on, you could put him in lineups in year one and he could contribute even just like as a bench player? I think it depends on the team. Um, but I, I, I was saying earlier, I think he's way too good for the G mm. League. And so, like, I think it would be kind of like what happened to Dayron last year, where you put it, you know, he gets sent to the G League for a couple games, and then he's just absolutely killing the G League, and you got to call him mm. back up. Um, I, I'm not sure if he's going to, you know, day one going to be able to help an NBA team. I don't think he's at that level, especially, you know, a lot of the guys who have been able to, like Kessler. Uh, it was defensively. Aldama spent all last year in the G League. This year, he's finally coming around. Uh, JRE, like you said, was like 23. Uh, Dayron's going to be 21 at the beginning of his rookie year. So um, I think it's – I'm not sure he's going to be able to impact the game immediately, but I do think he's going to be too good for the G League. Um, and so I think it's going to it's gonna be one of those situations where he's kind of like on the fringe of the lineup – uh, might have to see some like some things break his way, kind of, for him to really make a lineup uh, next year. It also depends on you know obviously what team he's on. If he's on a contender versus you know on a bad team that happens to have a pick in the twenties or something like that. Uh, so I think it it, it does kind of depend, but I, I I could see him being impactful. You know, year two, uh, maybe year three in the league. Uh, I also wanted to quickly just revert, go back to one of the statements I said earlier about how this is not like a great big man class. There's a lot of bigs in this class who aren't, in my opinion, like traditional bigs. Yes. There's a lot of like connector guys. Uh, there's like Coleman Hawkins, Oso Iguodaro, uh, who, you know, are both like six, nine plus that probably won't play the five in the NBA, but they're big and they can play big and they can guard big. Um, but they are awesome with the ball in their hands. And I think that, you know, Dayron and Santi Aldama fit that mold of player a little bit more of guys who, you know, in college had the ball in their hands a ton, uh, are really creative and just, you know, able to minimize their role a little bit to, to be impactful with all their ball on ball skills. So, um, guys like Oso or even Coleman Hawkins, I wouldn't be surprised if they're impacting teams, a little bit more than Dayron on day one. Um, I do think Dayron's probably the the better long term prospect out of either of those. Um, I think Coleman maybe maybe it's a little bit closer with him than Oso, but um, I yeah that's that's basically my take on the on the bigs in this class. There's the other guys like Lively and Ware, but that's a whole other box um, to open. Yeah, so. we'll we'll definitely save Lively and Ware for another episode. Um, I have some interesting thoughts on those. The next couple guys we're going to talk about are probably big enough to play some five and some situations in the NBA, but whether they are fives or not depends on what you consider a five. Um, and that's not the main reason we're going to talk about them. They're really awesome for other reasons. The guy I want to start out with is the person in this group who has gotten the most fanfare, not just this year as a, upstart amazing nationally recognized freshman but uh before that as one of the best high school players in the country and that's Jairus Walker who stars at the four for one of the best teams in the country Houston um and uh his last game on TV the other day absolutely killed it 27 points helped lead a a big second half comeback versus Cincinnati um one of the few college games that I watched live these days uh, while I was chilling with some family in New York. 
Um, Oscar, one of the main reasons I was excited to get you on the pod is um, you've been watching him since before he got to Houston and in past cycles of draft Strickland, some of the most helpful insight that I've gotten from guests has been from people familiar with their game before high school, because that lets you see the player. Yes. The competition is worse because it's high school and they're seniors and they might be playing juniors and sophomores and stuff like that. But you know, maybe they have a different role. Maybe they handle the bit the ball more or less, or they shoot threes more or less, or something else is different. And uh, you, you just get to see stuff that you might not see at the college level for a million different reasons. And, um, you know, I, I had Bryce Hendricks, who y'all know, uh, on the pod to talk about prospects he saw playing in the Pacific Northwest, including Paolo. And we talked a lot about some of the stuff Paolo showed in high school and Tari Eason that they showed in high school that they didn't show in, in, in college. And, and that stuff ended up being pretty prescient in terms of what they are doing now as really good NBA rookies. Um, so I guess my first question for you, Oscar, is Jarris was like people, many smart people were like, this is the last year. We're like, this is the best high school player in the country. So I guess my question for you is what made him the best high school player in the country? <laughs> Yeah, um, so Jairus is a really, really versatile defender. Um, he's um, maybe not the best drop defender, but like any other scheme of pick and roll defense, like he's like a terror as a hedger. He's just like, because he's so long. He has like um, a 7-3 wingspan, right? I think. Six, yeah, seven, three, yeah. Um, seven, three, <clears throat> and in, in small spaces, his feet are really, really good, so. He gave a lot of trouble to some of the best high school players in the country last year. Like I think again in one of the um, IMG Montford games, he he blitzed Derek like three times and got a steal like all That's three times. Duke's like, Derek so, Whitehead, um, their recently yeah. injured, slightly underperforming wing, who we're not talking about today because it makes me right. sad. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, yeah, sorry. Um, <laughs> no, no, you're good. Um, so yeah, and then he was also a really, really good secondary rim protector. Um, maybe a little misleading in like how elite he was, which I'll get to, but um, definitely super, really effective in that role as well. Um, and then on offense, he took a leap from his junior year um, where he was more of like a play finisher. Um, uh, Jairus was like a secondary ball handler for, for IMG last year. So there was a lot of um, attacking off the catch, but also like running some actions, um, some like pick and roll ball handler reps, which was like shocking to see from this 240 pound 18 year old. Um, there were definitely, um, there were definitely some ups and downs, like his handle, um, you know, not the tightest and some maybe like not ideal decisions at times, but it was really encouraging to see this um, huge high school senior, like running offense in the NIBC, which is like the best um, high school conference in the country, basically like, um, most teams in that conference are um, have a rotation like full of future D1 players. So, um, and then also as an interior um, finisher, just because he's so strong and long, um, he was really good. So, yeah, Jarris kind of just like dominated in a bunch of different roles um, on a really good IMG team. Last so year. for his offense, like running some of the actions, that's obviously notable for a 240 pound human being. In terms of his scoring. 
in, in, in yeah. and we'll get to this in Houston. He's he's very much like an opportunistic scorer who they can also throw the ball to against mismatches and at the end of the clock. And you know he's not gonna like cross tween Hezzy fucking and one poster dunk it most of the time. But like you know he's has a he can always get his floater off. He can always get a mid range jumper off. Pretty much those two shots he can get like whenever he wants because he's so strong. And he's coordinated and he's not bad at them. So that's like one way to score. And then other like, you know, he's 240 pounds. There's not much people could do wherever he wants to go. He's pretty much going to go there um, unless you throw extra bodies at him, which is what college teams do. But in, in high school, what was what was his scoring like? Because I, I don't think I'm assuming perhaps naively that no one is going to earn the reputation of best high school player in the country because of defense and surprising like pick and roll craft, right? Like you need buckets. Yeah. <laughs> no, for sure. For sure. Um, yeah, he was a, he was a good scorer. I wouldn't say that, that was like a strong point of his game relative to all the other skills I talked about, but um, yeah, he, he could get to his um, pull up too, like you said, pretty much um, whenever he wanted. Um, and even if his like burst and strength um, combination isn't, elite at the college level i think that um there were not many high schoolers who were both big enough um to you know the the point where you couldn't bully them and then also uh quick enough to contain them off the off the bounce um yeah i mean he was definitely like a, a drive first um you know like or like an inside out score yeah. for sure um a lot of pull-up twos a little bit of um catch and shoot threes uh, catch and shoot, uh three stuff not a ton um but um, and the form wasn't great. I think I've I've talked to you about this, but his like back was he leaned back a lot, um, which thankfully he's he's rectified um, at Houston. Even if the the three point numbers aren't amazing, um, the form is definitely better. Um, but yeah, I mean he was a good scorer. IMG had like a, a weird offense because Jaden Bradley was their point guard, but like I'm pretty sure Keontae George and Jarris were like the two highest usage. Um, players and then Bradley like close behind them so um yeah I, he he was a secondary creator I wouldn't say like a dominant score but it definitely wasn't like it, it wasn't a negative point in this game cool um yeah just watching him for Houston like the games the games where he scores a lot he takes more field goals than other games which seems like an obvious thing to say but it's not always a given um something that I know I talked to y'all and I talked to Nima about was like, I find a lot of the time in the college game, it's harder for bigs to put up big scoring numbers unless you're like an absolutely destructive post scorer, like Drew Timmy as a senior classman or Joel Embiid as a, as a freshman or Julius Randle when he was a freshman at Kentucky. And that's because... The, I don't know if it's a combination of skills or just coaching, but like guard, like even if you're nice, the guards control the game, right? Like Jarris is amazing, but Marcus Sasser is still like running the show and, you know, rightfully so he's really fucking good, but like it, it's hard. Like you can't just be like, all right, give me the ball on the post. I'm going to cook this, you know, future chemistry TA right now or whatever. Like, unfortunately, which is why, if you look at the profile guys like Scotty Barnes or Franz Wagner, or Pat Williams, um, or, and other guys who, you know, they can clearly score at the NBA level, 
Well, well, Pat Wells, like, asterisk because weird Chicago, but um, <laughs> like they didn't, uh, they didn't shoot, they didn't shoot that much. Like, it, it, even Paolo, like his usage was high, but like there were like five, six, seven guard prospects with higher usage than Paolo. Even though Paolo was like obviously should have had the highest usage of anybody because he's unstoppable. Um, so I, I look at a guy like Jairus and I'm and I'm thinking, how do I know if he's a guy who's gonna struggle to generate offense or if he's going to find more ways to do that? And I say this not because he's he needs to do that, right? Like I, I know Nima is a very large fan of uh, of Jabari Smith Jr. Oh, oh yeah, I love him. <laughs> no, <laughs> we don't have to. We don't have to get into Jabari slander hour unless uh, unless you want to. Then then I'm fully prepared to do that. I like Jabari, but anyway, my point is like I I, I look for Franz. Franz was the hard one for me, and he's Scotty. Like I thought Scotty would score eventually. But he's already like years ahead of what I thought. I thought he wouldn't start re- scoring, like averaging 16 points to like year three or four or something like that. And I know the Raptors kind of suck, but still, they were good last year. And Franz, I mean, I-, I was high on Franz, and he was like, actually, I'm a fucking big wing quasi point guard surprise motherfucker. And like, and Pat Will, Pat Will was the one who I was kind of a little more down on. Um, but he's also the youngest of the group. So who the hell knows what he's going to end up like in two years, especially if he gets freed from the shackles of, of, uh, Billy Donovan and friends. So, so Nima, how are you looking at a guy like Jairus? Who's, you know, every, he's very obviously a lottery pick, very obviously talented, particularly on defense. And we know he does all the the little things, right? Like he's scheme versatile. He's a great connective passer. He can hit the short roll. He's an awesome screener. He's a great help defender. And like, just he kills the little things and he's good at a lot of the big things. But in terms of just like usage and scoring, like how, how do you approach that? I, I'm struggling here. Yeah. I think where Jairus defers from like guys like Scotty and Franz, or like Scotty's like, an incredible athlete at six nine. I don't think Jarris like some otherworldly athlete. He's big as hell, um, and decently quick. Um, every single one of his blocks are like super powerful, and he flails his arms like insanely for all of them. But I don't think he's some like insane above the rim athlete. Gets down the floor super quickly, and you know, in, in like in just you know, explosive or anything like that. He's, he's all right. I think he's passable. Uh, I think Scotty's just a much better athlete, much higher motor, uh, especially offensively. And then Franz has Franz like an like, otherworldly balls. Yeah. Yeah. And Fra- Franz is, is a great athlete and also has like otherworldly ball skills mm-hmm. at, at 610, which like Jairus does not have, in my opinion, he, he can put the ball on the floor. But like Franz is like crossing right, people right, up right. And, and taking step back threes. That's that's not happening with Jairus. Um, I think some of his limitations offensively, like like we said, you know, he gets those floaters off. He gets the the like step back mid or like turnaround mid range jumpers and stuff like that. Uh, but he doesn't get to the rim that well, in my opinion. It, it doesn't happen very often, especially off the dribble. I think he's a little slow, especially in traffic. 
he gets into small space as well, like defensively, but offensively with the ball, I, I, it doesn't happen as easily. Um, I think he's going to have a little bit of trouble on offense kind of coming in, but I, I do think, like like you were saying, with the setting, you know, playing at U of H where he's not going to get – one, your leash is super short. You know, if you mess up a couple times, it happened early in the season. He had a couple bad minutes, and, you know, all of a sudden you're playing 20 minutes in the game instead of 35. Um, you know, Terrence Arsenault is not getting any minutes right now because he had a couple of bad games in a row, and now Samson doesn't want him in the rotation. So um, his leash is a little shorter. The good thing is that, you know, unlike Arsenault, they know Jairus is a one-and-done, so they're, gi- they're giving him the minutes to make sure he, like, gets drafted where he deserves to be. Uh, but, you know, they have three ball handlers in that lineup with Tremont Mark, Jamal Shedd, who's arguably one of the best point guards, if, like, not just in the conference but in the NCAA uh, and then Marcus Sasser, who, you know, despite having a bad season, is still one of the best guards in the NCAA. Um, so, you know, that's that's just a stack team. Uh, but I I think offensively for him, it's, it's going to have to be a little bit more as a play finisher, especially right off the bat. Like, I think you're – you're going to be on a team that probably also has some elite guards, bro. Like you're a lot of these bad teams, you know, OKC has Shea, uh, the Rockets, uh, let's not talk about it, but you know, they're going to, they're going to put the ball in the hands that aren't Jarrett. They're going to put the hands in the, the ball in the hands of guards who like the ball in their hands. (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's, that's going to be the case. Uh, the Pistons have, you know, Cade and Ivy, um, so a lot of these bad teams like already kind of have guys who are gonna are gonna be a little bit more ball heavy. I think Jarris is gonna find offense a little similarly to what's happening in Houston. Of you know, it's gonna be a lot of stuff off the catch. I think that is probably what's best for him, especially right now. You know, like little dribble pull ups, attacking mismatches, attacking tilted defenses, stuff like that. Um, he needs to improve on his foot speed. He needs to improve on his verticality. All of that comes from probably having the worst knees I've seen in years. Um, and that's something that I know U of H is working on. They're working on daily. Uh, I have, a, like, just being from Houston and uh, knowing some people who have gone through that system, both as players and managers, just being able to pick their brains on what's happening in that room. And um, they're, they're working on his development, especially athletically, like, pretty well. Um, but, you know, that dude is extremely pigeon-toed. His knees face each other every chance they get. Um, it's if, if you want him to be the, the athlete that, like, he, his body kind of allows him to be, uh, that's something that's going to need to get fixed, the valgus in his knees, just his overall stance, uh, because it slows him down a lot and it really messes with his mobility. It's honestly amazing how good he is defensively with that limitation. Because uh, he flies around the court like it's nothing. He can cover almost anybody on the court, regardless of size, speed, whatever it may be. Um, so his his de- defensive ability, like like you said, he's for sure a lotto guy. And it's going to be off that alone. Anything he can bring offensively, any that he can bring offensively, it's just kind of icing on the cake. Um, I don't think he's like a top 20, 25 offensive player in this class. Um but he's probably like a top two defender uh, and like including Wemby. Um, so I, I think that that alone, you know, is going to get him minutes. It's going to get him into rotations and, you know, just any improvement he can make both in terms of like his overall flexibility and athleticism, 
but also just being able to, you know, be a little bit quicker with some of his decision-making on the ball uh, will really help him in the next level. I don't think he's going to be Scotty uh, or Franz. Pat will, obviously, you know, injuries and whatnot and situation is different, but um, I think Scotty and Franz are just they, – they have a few other outlier skills that Jairus doesn't have offensively mm-hmm. uh, that benefit them. Um, that Yeah, so – I think it's gonna be, he's going to have a bit of an uphill battle kind of coming in offensively. For So you mentioned the the physical stuff that they're working with him on, like mobility and, uh, you know, when, when players have the severe valgus, which for people who aren't loser nerds like us, uh, that means, and or people who have just have knee problems and are older washed like Perez, um, who also know what that means, but... It's basically when your when your knees <laughs> collapse towards each other, um, like you're doing a dance move or yep. something, um, and it, it's usually from a combination of things. Uh, it means there's some weakness probably in the hips relative to the rest of your body strength, and that's kind of the fascinating thing to me um, because usually the players who have that they come into the league weak, right? Like the Clearest example I can think of for that is Kevin Durant, who still has knee collapse like crazy because he's really tall. And because he's tall, even though he's skinny, that's like a lot of pressure on his legs and their legs. His legs are like fucking hockey sticks. And he helps alleviate that by his knees coming together when he shoots and when he jumps and stuff like that. He's like a weird outlier athlete in that even when he was 17, 18, he could still jump high as shit um, despite all that. But with Jarris, he's built like Julius Randle. He's like 240 pounds. And I'm sure, like, I, I, I'll be interested. It'll be interesting to see what he participates in in the combine because, like, I don't even think he has that high body fat. Like, he looks pretty fucking chiseled for a 240 pound dude. No, he's. He's built crazy. He's like a football like, player, that dude is, like a anime character. Yeah, he's, he's all. Yeah, so like, yeah, you're talking a, about dude. knee collapse because of probably the weight combined with some muscles that are just not strong enough to handle that. And even though this is like an unusual situation, part of me is like, all right, if they already got him cooking on the right solutions in Houston and you know this you know you can't fix this this is very hard to fix something like this in season because it takes months of rehab and strength building and body reconfiguration really but isn't that kind of like a low-hanging like this is not something we don't know how this isn't like a jump shot where you're like well I don't know if it'll take when we adjust his mechanics like no we know the solutions here right like if I'm if I'm a team in the I think it's just that go ahead go ahead it's it just that like August isn't something that gets fixed often, and so like like uh like a jump shot gets fixed can can get fixed pretty mm-hmm. often. Like you see guys come around develop jump shots, but like Valgus is something that it like you said it takes it takes years to to fix. Um, especially with like how how pronounced it is in Jaris. I also don't like the body weight might attribute to it, but like I don't I don't see a path to him losing weight. You know, like I I. I think he's extremely built out. I don't think he should lose weight. I think it benefits him so much defensively. Um, but like, you know, if if he's able to fix it, like you said, like it, 
the you know the sky's the limit kind of for him you know um there's been other guys who have valgus you know just as bad as he does jabari smith was very recent last year you know his is pretty bad uh, but like you said similar to kevin durant he's extremely skinny and then the the number one model that always comes to mind is seku dumboya whose knees touch each other basically when he's walking um and like just like the other two, he's really skinny. So Jairus is really just like an outlier on something that we don't see get fixed or like fixed to the point where like he can have his full mobility. And I don't think that will ever kind of get there, but any improvement is, is good for him. Like you said, you know, it's, it's, it's something that is getting fixed. It's something that, you know, will slowly get better over time. And it addresses a lot of like the, the negative issues in his game. So um, even if it gets, you know, 30, 40% better, that's still, you know, a huge improvement for him um, and, and what he can bring offensively and defensively. You're going to make me go down a rabbit hole and try to look for prospects who have had it, that issue and had it fixed. Cause I got to find a picture of, uh, of Seku's knees because we did a project on it at Syracuse whenever I was an undergrad and uh, I took a sports science class. Uh, the guy who taught it was uh, formerly a Timberwolves like director of pro personnel or uh, not pro personnel, like player, uh, what is it? Medicine, whatever, something like that. Uh, and he showed us like Seku's uh, pre-draft, like workout, like shin angles and knee angles and stuff like that. It was atrociously bad. Uh, and he said he had never seen anything like it in his years working in, uh, working in basketball. So uh, just fun little tidbit there. Uh, Valgus is, is pretty bad in some guys. Yeah, um, it's something that I've learned about through personal experience, and um, I, it's one of those like I know it would be a fire deep dive. I just gotta f- not be lazy and actually do it. So that means TBD on if we'll ever see it. Um, Oscar, any any other last thoughts on Jarris? Like we've is is it, it taking him top ten? Is that is that kind of shaky if all of his value is tied up in just elite defensive production or, or do all the other like connectory things, the screen setting, the passing, the rebounding, um, the help defense, do all of, all of that things kind of make it less of a daunting prospect um, for, for a team to take Jairus top 10. Cause I was kind of just assuming he would go in the seven, eight, nine, ten 10 range, but like, you know, it's very rare to see yeah. like defense first prospects who are not centers, right? In the top ten. Yeah, I think um this like his college season so far has kind of exposed like a lot of um holes in his offensive game that maybe weren't um there at IMG. Um and I think that like ties back to his athletic profile. I have a bit of a, a bit of a theory about his um his athleticism. So I think that um his perception, like just around the not just like draft Twitter, but in general, like the perception of his athleticism was kind of boosted by a couple of his like aesthetic traits. So um, at IMG and even like now at Houston, he tries to swat every single block. Like he doesn't go for tips. He tries to send he everything tries to send like, a message into the pit. <laughs> right. Um, and like that can get into, into trouble like sometimes because if he doesn't time it up perfectly, like all of a sudden, you know, he's not, he's not getting any contact on the ball, but when he does, um, when he does make contact, it like flies, you know, either like way off the backboard or like 
out of bounds. So I think people saw that and then paired that with um, like when he dunks, especially like uncontested dunks, he'll like shake on the rim sometimes. Um, and it just like gives off this like vibe, this like super explosive athlete. Um, but his lift off one foot isn't the best. Like his burst is pretty average, especially like after his first and second step, like his long speed isn't the best. And I think that people kind of assumed like we have this super strong, you know, forward initiator who's showing shooting and handling flashes. And he's like this great defender, mm -hmm. like easy top man, right? But then he got to Houston and um, he's had a lot of trouble as a driver, like, like Nima said. Um, he hasn't been getting to the rim much. And I think a big reason for that is he doesn't proactively leverage his, um, his strength, which is like by far the asset that he should be using the most on offense, right? Like he's not the quickest, not the best leaper. His handle isn't the best. Um, so if he's not going to use his strength, he's going to get into trouble. I think that, um, yeah, he like a lot of times when he should be like bumping or like um, like leveraging how wide his shoulders are to like spin off a guy, he, he likes to... Um, go for more like guard-esque handles. So like a lot of behind the back dribbles or like um, east-west stuff. Um, and then when you combine that with the fact that, yeah, he like leans away from contact a lot, even like stunts, like he won't even like try to like gather and like uh, gather through stunts. Like he'll like just like throw the kick out every time. Um, and then when you pair that with the fact that he loves his floater, which is like, it's a pretty good floater, but um, you know, he definitely shoots it too much. So he really hasn't been getting to the rim or um, getting to the line at all. Like his free throw rate is really low for a guy who takes mostly twos. It's like, yeah, like pretty historically low, I'd say. Not not historically low for a lotto prospect for sure. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I wasn't expecting him to be so rough as a driver. Um, and I think that him kind of improving in that area depends on um, the the Valgus, like you guys discussed. Um, and I think the Valgus also, by the way, has an impact on him as a finisher because a lot of the time when he's like loading up on drives where he does get all the way to the rim, his like core is like sunk into his, like it just like sinks a little bit because his knees are kind mm -hmm. of um, outward. It's, it's hard to describe like through saying it, but yeah, he's like, he's jumping from a point where like a 6'3 guard would be jumping. And then he's just like not that good of a leaper either. So like, he goes for a lot of these like three foot, like wide angle touch shots, which are just like not the diet you want for a six, eight, 240 pound tank. Um, so he's this weird mix of like really rough um, driver at the moment, but like, it seems like all of the things he needs to do to like improve are like pretty low hanging, like you said. So yeah, I'm not like completely sure where I'm at, where, I, where I'm at with him yet. Um, I think that like, there's a lot of conflicting factors that I need to, to think about. He's also been playing better as of late, which is good. I'm, I haven't gotten to like the super recent tape as much. I don't know if it's just that his like floaters are going in more or if it's like really like a process change. Um, but yeah, super intrigued, intrigued by Jerry. Yeah, it's, it'll be interesting to see where he is by the end of the year. That is the last thing I'll say, because I have noticed, um, you know, we all check these guys stats pretty much every week and, uh, both his field goal attempts per 100 and his free throw rate are like slowly ticking up. Um, his free throw rate is still not good. It's 26 on the season, which is not good for anyone, let alone a tank. And then, but his field goal attempts per 100 is at 22 right now, which is a lot. That means he's like not shy about putting up shots and 
we can definitely like, you know, we're rightfully going to put a microscope to these guys. But fact is like, if you're taking a lot of shots and making a lot of shots, like, and being productive for your team's offense, then, you know, maybe I might, whenever I see a prospect where I'm like, they seem to be more productive individually and for a team than some of the skills would indicate or in spite of certain flaws, then I have to go back and, and see if I'm missing something. So, um, you know, this, this, he's fascinating because he's, he's not as cut and dry as a prospect as I think a lot of people seem, even though he's really great and every, pretty much everybody agrees he's really great. So it'll be really interesting to see where he goes. Um, who knows? Maybe he, this, you know, this draft is tag. Maybe he falls out of the top 10 and he gets into range of a mix straight up. You know, I'm not going to rule it out. But anyway, we got other prospects to, more fours, really, Look, man. Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wallen. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean cellar. the mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. It's a mini yeah. fridge. New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts.